Welcome, welcome to this episode of the Green of <laughs> the Montpelier Happy Hour here on Brattleboro WVEWLP 107.7 FM. I am Olga Peters, your host, and my guest with me is Representative Emily Kornheiser. How are you doing, Emily? I am great, Olga. How are you? I'm doing well, and we are here, and it's a beautiful day, and we have a guest coming in about 15 minutes by the name of Senator Becca Balance, so I have a feeling this is going to be a good conversation. I think we're going to have fun. I'm excited to have a live guest. We've had a lot of call-in guests, but I think live is going to have a special kind of magic to it it will be although I have to say I'm a little nervous because I know how when the three of us get together to have a conversation it just never ends and we could talk for hours so we'll see if we actually get this all into one hour yeah and I don't <laughs> think there's anyone on the schedule after us so okay. if we ran a little over we might be able to get away I don't know it. if we'd have a community radio revolt or a community <laughs> radio celebration it could go either way so because you are so great at these sorts of things, I would love you to just kind of frame what we've been doing with the show. Because when it started, you and other lawmakers were up in Montpelier, hence the Montpelier Happy Hour, talking about how things worked out for Wyndham County. And now this, the legislature is not in session. So we're kind of doing some special series here. Would you remind audiences what we're doing? Yeah. Here on the Montpelier Happy Hour, I think over this summer and fall, we're talking about how we're doing the framing, the really essential framing that in the middle of the session, there's no time to do. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to give the backstory, do the deep analysis, do some deep context for how policy really happens. So we've spent the last few meeting interviews talking about um, transparency, communication, participation, all really important themes to both of us and mm -hmm. themes that we have sort of touched on in the happy hour before, but not had the chance to go in depth on. So we've had some really incredible guests come on and talk about that stuff with us. Today, we're going to talk about not just how a bill becomes a law, but how a bill becomes a bill. Right. Which I think is a great fun phrase. <laughs> It needs a t-shirt of its own, doesn't it? Does. It does. Yes. It absolutely does. And then from there, we're going to sort of continue on with how democracy works. Um, talking at next week, we're going to talk about town, state, and federal jurisdictions and the difference between those, because it is actually even different from state to state how that works. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll be helpful for our listeners to understand that. We're going to talk to Peter Elwell about that. And then we're going to talk about activism and electoral politics, how sort of activists shape policy how policy shapes activism. And then we're going to have a little week break with no guests. It'll just be the two of us. Or will we have John Condo, uh, Jim Condos? Oh, you're right. We will. We we'll will. have Jim Condos. <laughs> we're going to have Jim Condos to talk about public record sunshine laws. And that will be very fun. And probably some voting because he is, yeah. I think, a national champion for voting rights. We have some of the most amazing laws in the country mm -hmm. on that. We do. And I, I'm also curious to hear from him because I saw, and I'm so sorry, I can't give the news outlet credit because I'm just forgetting right now, but someone had done a piece on how some quote unquote ethical hackers had broken into some of the elect, uh, vote counting machines in the state. Uh, and so I'm curious to see, like, as far as security goes and hacking, you know, Vermont, we we still have our paper ballots. Mm -hmm. So that gives us a certain level of insulation. 
um, from, say, like hacking. But um, still, it's something we need to be concerned about in this century. And I think it's something that he's gone to a conference about recently. So mm-hmm. we'll hear about that. And then we're going to pivot away from the big picture of democracy and talk about something that I think is a New England classic, legislating morality Uh and behavior. (laughs) Yay! Yeah, so we'll spend a month on that. We're going to talk about drugs. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about speech. And we're going to talk about public spaces, legislating morality. And so then we've sort of talked about the infrastructure of government a little bit. We've talked about the types of laws and why we create them sometimes. And then we're going to talk about the guts, revenue and taxes for mm-hmm. a whole month, school budgets, state contracted services, federal revenue, progressive taxation. It's going to be so much fun. It will be fun. Well, because, you know, I think recent meetings have shown both of us. I'm, I'm thinking of the work I'm doing with the Moore Public Library over in Newfane right now. They're holding a number of, or they're about to kick off, a number of This Is How Government Works Civics 101 series, because at their town meeting, a lot of people tried to bring things to the floor that you just couldn't do at town meeting. Mm -hmm. It just was not what Robert's Rules of Order will allow you to do, and Vermont Law will allow you to do. And it just highlighted for the librarian that a lot of people don't understand civics anymore and and just kind of like how their government works. but I, I think I saw this also at Representative Town Meeting a little bit. We had so many new members who had just never been reps before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very cool. I think this is an offshoot of one of the things we can say thank you, Trump, to, because I think a lot of people no longer sit back and they have gotten involved who maybe not, who wouldn't have gotten involved before. The, thing, the, the downside is now there's a learning curve. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think, the two of us, are really interested in giving people the information to be really effective Mm -hmm. if they want to interact with government, governance, policy making. And so by having these conversations, by setting the groundwork, we're going to have the context for people who really want to jump in and learn more. Mm -hmm. Yes, hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Or at least spend a bunch of good weeks having conversations that people might want to listen in. Exactly. And you can also catch those online at the Vermontitude SoundCloud page. And you can also find these conversations online at the Vermontitude Facebook page. And on my Facebook page, Emily Kornheiser Representative. Which brings me Mm -hmm. to a very special request. (laughs) Thank you. That was a great cue. Olga and I have a lot going on. Both of us have other jobs. Both of us have other lives. Neither of us are particularly skilled at the art of self-promotion. Mm-mm. And so we are hoping, hoping, hoping. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. We are hoping <laughs> into the future that one of you out there in the radio audience wants to join us for some social media support. Mm -hmm. We both know how to use the things. I do Instagram. I can do Twitter. We're not newbies. We could just really use someone who like wants to spend two or three hours just like kickstarting a new Montpelier Happy Hour profile, maybe finding some opening music, intro music. What's it called here on the radio? Both of them work. Great. That works. Some special music for us. 
Maybe we even want a new logo. Who knows? But we just need a couple hours of someone who's super excited about what we're doing. We want to start doing Facebook live stream, but we need to understand how that works and maybe get a tripod. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's not like you're going to be working with, you know, people who have never touched the internets before. <laughs> you're just going to be supporting some people who don't have time to dive in on something that is not particularly their favorite part of their jobs. Exactly. I like how you put that. And maybe it's your favorite part to get the good word out to more people. So we would love if you could come help us. You can find me at emilykornheiser.org, emilykornheiser at Gmail, emilykornheiser on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, if you want to be in touch to help us out. And you can also find me on Facebook at the Vermontitude Facebook page or my personal Facebook page or always at the Commons. Because as of August 13th, that was my 10th year anniversary. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, I wish we had had a party. I know. I kind of forgot. Congratulations. Why, thank you. Thanks for writing so many things for so many years for all of us. Oh, that was so sweet, Emily. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) It has been quite quite a road. Mm Mm-hmm. This is BKS.com. WVEW thanks everyone's book for their support of this station. So we are back with the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7. I am your host, Olga Peters. My guest is my guest is Emily Kornheiser, and my other guest is Becca Bialant. Hi, Becca. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. And you could hear her okay, Emily? I could, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> We're still learning microphones. So, Becca, so glad you're here. It's really nice to be here. <laughs> and I was asking Emily this, but maybe you want to ask answer this question, which is, you know, the three of us sitting here know why it's important that people understand how a bill becomes a law or how a bill becomes a bill, as we're phrasing it. But why do you think it's important for people to understand this with their everyday understanding of government? Well, it starts from an essential place, which is that we are not just a citizen legislature, but all the work that we do, essentially, is generated by citizens. So yes, there are lobbyists in the building. Yes, there is an administration that has an agenda. But most of our agenda items for what we want to get done come from citizens and those in the state who advocate on behalf of citizens for that work to be done. And so many people assume that a representative like Emily or a senator like myself come into the building and that we're the ones sitting down writing the language that will become a bill and maybe hopefully a law. And in that way, it feels very easy, right? Not just accessible, but easy. And when you explain to a constituent, it actually goes through all these different steps to ever be ready for prime time. I think when people don't understand those steps, they are essentially powerless. They don't understand how the system operates. So it's incredibly important so they understand all the moving parts so they don't feel like something is happening to them, but that they are a a part of the process. And Emily, would you have anything to add to that? I completely agree. I also think um, so many of us feel so urgent about the issue that's on our mind and in our lives. And... I think the more we can bring context to that and bring context to the process, people can see um, both their sense of belonging that you referred to 
and that nothing happens overnight um, and that bureaucracy and process might be the most frustrating thing in the world, but it might also save us all. Bureaucracy and process is what is sort of keeping Washington from sinking the entire ship right now. (laughs) And sometimes it's really what helps us here in Vermont as well. Right. One of the things I wanted to do before I came was to get the exact number of bills that were introduced this year. Because it was a record number, yes, wasn't it? Yes, it was a record number. And so I want to say it was over a thousand it was, bills. I think it was well over a thousand bills. And many of those came from the House. But there was also right. quite a few from the Senate. Yes. And um, so, so obviously I, not all of those will ever make it. Mm-hmm not just to be a law, but we'll never make it to get a hearing in a committee because there just, there just aren't enough hours. And so mm-hmm. back to the sense of urgency. I wrote a column a few months ago talking about how obviously constituents are moved to write to us or call us when there's something urgent going on. And they all generally speak at the same level of urgency. Right. And we have to try to um, do triage, right? So the people who don't have health insurance who have huge medical expenses, Those they're going to get bumped to the top of the list, or they have a crisis that, that's happening that needs an immediate answer. And then you've got the folks who want to move their particular bill along, uh, or an idea. It might not even be, be a bill, it's an idea. You try to convey to them, yes, I understand that this is really important to you, and many times it's important to us too. There are issues that we share, and we try to convey to them, but y- you have to understand that in some ways, your issue, because it is not the most urgent, even though you feel like it's the most urgent, is going to essentially have to take a number, just like you're at the DMV, right? And so not because we don't care, but because we are limited by the hours that we work actually in the building and have the legislative staff to help us do that work. And also because, as Emily said, it takes many years to actually get something from an idea to a workable policy on the ground. Because even if I as a legislator thinks it's the most important idea in the building, there's still more than a hundred other legislators who also have ideas that they think are the most important right. idea in the building. Right. And even though I would like them all to think that my idea is the most <laughs> important idea in the building, and even though I am That's really it. good at talking to people about stuff and, you know, being right, it doesn't <laughs> always work. Yeah. And so I want us to really step back and just mm-hmm. explain like step by step what happens when we have an idea or a constituent, all the different ways that something can even just become a bill. So, Great. Emily, let's let's look at some of the bills you worked on mm-hmm. this session. How? Just pick one and then talk talk us through how did it come to you, and then what was the next step? Okay. So one, I only submitted one bill for my very first session because I knew that as a new legislator. If I had a big idea, say to transform the taxation system or, (laughs) you know, make universal health care work, no one was going to pay any attention to me. So it would be a waste of a lot of people's hands and typing (laughs) for me to submit a big idea. So but I knew I wanted one. Um, And I had talked to so many people during my campaign about why they vote or don't vote, Um, because we have. A lot of people throughout Vermont and throughout the country have talked about voting access. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Vermont, 
as we were actually just talking about 10 minutes ago, we have incredible access to the ballot. Um, really easy voter registration, really easy opportunities to vote, but still so many people don't vote. So this felt like an essential challenge of democracy to me, and it's something I talked to a lot of constituents about when I was knocking on doors. And so I submitted a bill to make Election Day a state holiday. Nice. Yeah. And so... It kind of should be. Yeah. Yeah. It should be. Makes logical sense. And so I submitted that bill by writing to Legislative Council office. Becca, do you want to... We actually um, tried to get Legislative Council on the show, but it's really important to them to be invisible always, which I think is fascinating and kind of awesome and kind of weird. And I don't know. They're like... Right. I talked to an attorney about this (laughs) yesterday, actually, in in state government and why it is that Ledge Council would want to feel that way um, or or rather does feel that way. And and that is the, the public statement that they make. And what she said to me was that it's incredibly important that legislators and the public do not see any kind of partisan agenda. So coming on a show with two people, for example, that lean left in our politics, although this show is not essentially about democratic or progressive politics, they do not want their office to be um, shown in that light, that Mm. everybody needs to see them as completely impartial. You bring your bill to them and they're going to do work on your behalf. So it it is a difficult thing, however, to um, demystify the process if you right. cannot get because that's all the, we wanted them to do. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so can you help us demystify yes. the process a little bit and say what happened? What this who is what is happens. legislative council? So legislative council are an, inc- an incredible team of inc- very hardworking lawyers, mm-hmm. and so they very nice hardworking, very lawyers nice too. hardworking lawyers who um, work with very difficult clients and those (laughs) clients are legislators so they are the clients okay the advocates that come with an idea you know the governor's office those aren't the clients the clients are the legislators so in the case of your bill it's emily cannot bring her idea to a committee in the house or senate it has to go through um the ledge council office they keep track of all of the bills that are introduced so they, when I wrote to Legislative Council, um, sometimes you write to Legislative Council who you know is sort of already um, involved in your idea, and sometimes you just sort of write to the supervisor and they send you off to the right person. And so they drafted the bill and they sent it to me in a pink envelope. They did. They did not email it to me. They sent it to me in a pink envelope. In a hard copy. Part of that is for official purposes. And part of that is because there's some legislators who don't really use computers still. Mm-hmm. And so they want to make I sure think of a few of that them. this is accessible <laughs> for all legislators right. as clients. And, and now, I want to, sorry, Becca, no, no, I just want to back up quickly. When you, as a lawmaker, either of you, bring something to the Ledge Council, can they access it? Can they say nope? Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. No matter how you terrible are, an idea it right. is. No. What they can tell you, since you are their client, they can say, I will advise you that this idea has been introduced 20 times and it has never made it out of committee because of constitutional issues you can still decide to have me draft it. I can talk to you about the constitutional issues and you could perhaps suggest some other wording or you could give me a homework assignment to send me to look at other states 
who are dealing with the same issue who might have figured out a solution around the constitutional issues. But it is not their um, right, responsibility, or in their job description to tell you whether an idea is a good one or not. It's just what is legal and um, logistically, in the case of Emily's idea, there are fiscal impacts on the state. Ah, right. Okay? Okay. And so they may say to her, you might want to, in the process of trying to move this along, get something called a fiscal note on your bill. So then Emily would have to go probably to leadership in the House because there's so many House members. You probably couldn't go directly. Well, you tell me. You know the... In the Senate, we're small enough that we might be able to go to, um, to the Joint Fiscal Office and have them do a small homework assignment mm-hmm. like that. I don't know how it I is I think in the we House. can, too. Okay. Yeah. So Emily could go and say, okay, here's my idea. I think if it's a big assignment, they'd say, uh, they'd, again, say very delicately. They have incre- the staff for the legislature has an incredibly delicate job yes. of really managing the legislature <laughs> without ever advising the legislature on anything political. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Okay. So they want us each to be successful as clients, but they don't really want to help us move our laws along. They just want to make sure that we have the best laws possible. That's okay. right. That's right. Because they feel pride in their work. They don't want a bill to be passed or even just to get to the final stages of passage on the floor and then for somebody to find an error. Right, it's, right. You know, it's mortifying for, for attorneys for that to happen. But so back to what I was saying before, it could be that one other step in the process is Emily might have to go to the Joint Fiscal Office and say, what would be the impact fiscally, financially, on the state if we took an additional state holiday, mm-hmm. right? And so then Emily has that information. She can decide maybe I don't want to pursue it in this way, or maybe I'm going to have to get more buy-in from the appropriations committee, whatever it might be. So, or maybe I'll keep this information to myself and hope no one else notices that there's a fiscal (laughs) impact on this, right? That's right. Like that's not, that's not generally my style. I'm like a put all my cards on the table kind of person, but it is (laughs) a viable strategy, especially in the house where often when something's on the floor, um, people aren't always paying attention to it if you can make it sound boring enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> but So you bring up an excellent point, Emily, which I hadn't mentioned, which is because Emily is the client, they are not allowed to talk to other legislators that have similar ideas. So five other House members or senators could contact that same attorney and say, I want a bill drafted on making it a state holiday. And they would have to treat each of them separately. Now, they might... For instance, this last session, I think there were 10 bills on fossil fuel infrastructure. Oh, interesting. And for whatever reason, I think partly legislative council did not always let other people know that there were Mm -hmm. other bills because they can say, I'm aware of another legislator with a bill like this. Would you be interested in being connected? Mm -hmm. But if one of those parties says no... They want their own bill. They want their own bill, which, you know, <laughs> egos, people want their own bills, especially like big, important topics like climate change that everyone's really hot about because it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, people might want to, you know, keep their name as the first name on the bill. Right. So that that is and that's an important thing for people to understand is that there is a fair amount of jockeying that goes on 
in, I can only speak for the Senate, I can, you know, you can speak for the House, a fair amount of jockeying that goes on about whose name gets to be first. Wow. If there are many, uh, you know, we went through this with, with many bills, whether it's minimum wage, paid family leave, stuff that we all really care about. And we may have all contacted separately. They might, um, the pro tem or the speaker might talk to people and say, well, let's defer to the chair. The chair is going to move it. Their name's going to go first. Um, but it, it's not always clear cut. And as, as Emily said, you could have two very similar bills that have slight changes and each person is like, I'm not collaborating with that person. Wow. But that's the bad side. That, that's the bad side. But eventually it's going to get to committee and we can talk about what happens when a bill gets to committee because that's right. a totally different process. Yes. So, um, so the lawyer determines whether um, Emily is going to just work on this on her own or whether it's going to put her in touch with other um, legislators and then the conversation happens so emily puts her ideas in the lawyer sends out a draft and says is this what you had in mind it's just actually no that's not really what i had in mind i was really thinking that you could look to what oregon did or what kentucky did or you know Mm -hmm. could you frame your bill similarly to theirs and then send another draft and i've you know worked on other bills in the house that weren't necessarily bills i introduced where legislative council actually gave me an analysis of that topic and what key pieces of laws looked like in 10 other states right okay so we can really build on the knowledge of other states in the country that are doing this work and that's really important oregon is one that we look to a lot for obvious reasons on the left and so you just have to imagine this pressure cooker of the house and the senate in this building we're all snowed in a lot of the time and everyone's running around like crazy. Working try- on their thousands of bills. That's <laughs> it. You've got these attorneys who are trying to get FaceTime with Emily, trying to get FaceTime with me, want to make sure they've got the, the, the drafting right. And back and forth, back and forth. And then finally they say, are you ready to, to sign off on it? Mm-hmm. And so Emily then can decide, yes, this is, the, this is the version I want. And then they'll ask her, are you looking to get co-sponsors? And so Emily can get a sign-out sheet. And so in the House, um, where we have hundreds of members, <laughs> when you get a sign-in sheet, I mean, not hundreds, right. but more than 100. Like it it yes. feels like hundreds, <laughs> but more than 100. When you get a sign-out sheet, and then everyone who wants to co-sponsor your bill can sign on to that. And there are so many different ways that people do that. We have weekly caucuses, and some people just send around their bill at weekly caucus and like don't give a pitch and... Anyone who sort of, you know, likes the cover page on it will sign it. Mm -hmm. Some people will ask you to co-sponsor something and they're a little insulted if you want to read the whole bill before you sign on to it. Some people would, it's, the whole process (laughs) is fascinating. She is not lying. Some people (laughs) just talk to their three best friends in their like miniature caucus about it. Some people go out of their way to really get people across the aisle very strategically. You know, you want two people from that committee and two people from the committee it might touch. And then one person who's an independent and maybe a Republican just to make friends on their bill. There's so many different ways you do that. Absolutely. How does it work in the Senate, given that you could just get everyone to sign it real quick if you wanted? Well, so there are times when there are senators that do not necessarily want to let other people know what what they're doing and so um it sometimes happens at caucus it sometimes happens right after the floor in the senate since it is a much smaller chamber you can try to tag those people so generally you know topically who generally is interested in signing on to 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 similar bills now 
you brought up something that I thought was really interesting, and I want to make sure I don't lose this this thread, which is that sometimes we get um, emails or calls from back home in our district, and they say, why didn't you sign on to so-and-so's bill about waste, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it is? And you say, I had no idea that bill was even being introduced because the person who sponsors it may not have shared it. They may have only shared it with their three closest friends or the people that signed you know, the bill last time because they've introduced it the last <laughs> 10 sessions. And so it's hard for us to try to convey to constituents. I had no idea they were introducing that bill. Nobody asked me to co-sign. Don't assume if you don't see a name on a bill that that means your House member senator didn't support it. They may not have ever seen it, especially given the volume. And sometimes it's not even a strategic or a social choice on someone's part. Sometimes someone gets a bill from legislative council and all of the bills are due right. two hours from then because oh, there's a deadline they for bill introduction. Right. And so Excellent. they don't even have time to ask anyone to sign it and they just introduce the bill and that's it. Right. No, it's a really good point. So once you get the the folks to sign it, what I'm finding very fascinating is it sounds like the state house has a very definite procedure for how something happens. And yet there is still all these social and emotional kind of strategic sessions happening in the background as well. Finding that rather fascinating. Mm -hmm. It is. It is fascinating. So then once the bill is actually turned back in, it's turned into the clerk's office. And can I just say one yeah, other thing? Please. Just because there are unsung heroes of legislative council, the people that do the final editing. Oh. They, I mean, it's a huge, huge job. And um, it is, sometimes we'll get word from ledge council, your bill's in the queue at editing. Like, we cannot get it out any faster. It has to go through this system cross-checking all the references so i just wanted to just put that little plug in but we better get to committee or we'll never get through this so i know <laughs> so it goes five to months in 10 minutes or less <laughs> so it goes to committee no how it doesn't even go oh, to sorry committee. It went, yeah. to the, went to the clerk's office goes to the clerk's office and then it gets introduced on the floor now we've talked before about legislative committees and how they're their own sort of kingdoms and silos and that there are different topics to them right and so in order to figure out which committee a bill goes to, one person in each body has all of the power to make that decision. Right. Isn't and you might amazing? feel like, how is that powerful? Well, you can send mm-hmm. something to a committee to die if it's not uh, a committee that has a chair that's favorable to it. So there's a lot of power. So in, our hou- uh, in my chamber, it's the um, secretary of the Senate who makes that decision. And in our body, it is the Speaker of the House who makes that decision. And it might seem obvious where things go, but often it's not. Often things might spend time in a number of committees. Um, You know, issues around substance use, for instance, could go to healthcare, they could go to judiciary, or they could go to human services, and or a number of other places. But those are three very immediate, obvious places. And where it starts really affects how it's shaped or whether or not it gets off the wall. Right. So explain gets off the wall. Well, ooh, and before I explain gets off the wall, I want to explain the really adorable part of the whole thing. So when it's introduced, it's an actual scroll. Yes. Yes. Really? Yes. Yes. It's a scroll. And the scroll leaves the clerk's hands and goes to the speaker's hands. And then the speaker gives it to a 
page and then the page who is wearing an adorable green jacket and then the page comes and delivers it to the clerk of the appropriate committee yeah and then the clerk of the appropriate committee must sign in pen for receiving said scroll and then carry it back to their committee room where it is given to the committee assistant there is no reason to do any of this (laughs) except (laughs) that it is I will beg to differ, my my good friend, (laughs) the historian in the room. Structure and pomp and circumstance, to a certain extent, gives people comfort. And civility. And civility. This is how we do it. This is how we do it today. This is how we'll do it next week. This is how they did it 10 years ago. That we know that this precious document is going to be hand-delivered. And it doesn't mean there isn't also an electronic copy. There is. Mm-hmm. But it's this sense of this is really important. And so, yes, if you step back, it all seems a bit silly. But I love it. I absolutely love it. And so. And it, as the clerk of my committee, I actually I was do gonna love say, it, too. I always feel very important when I'm carrying the document and signing for do. the document. So then it goes to the committee assistant, also unsung heroes of the building who do all the secretarial work for each of the committees and then they let the chair know of the committee that it's arrived and then the chair makes a decision well before the chair even makes a decision part of the arrival is the assistant makes a little sign for a wall for a bulletin board and when we talk about bills being on the wall Mm -hmm. it is not just a metaphor the actual bill number (laughs) is on a bulletin board on the wall so we can all see what has moved in of the committee, mm-hmm. what has moved out, and what seems to just be parked there. <laughs> so it's a very visible sign. What, what's getting patio furniture and putting in a little mini fridge? And, <laughs> and yeah, and exactly. for the as someone ball. with a lot of patio furniture that has no cushions and hasn't had any cushions <laughs> for quite a while now, I, patio furniture can really sit there useless for a long, long time. time. <laughs> yeah, long time. So the chair, he or she has you know, the agenda that they're trying to move and they're going to look at these bills and they're going to figure out, does this fit into my agenda for this committee? Does it fit into the larger political agenda of my party, of the Speaker of the House, of the pro tem? You know, that it's, it, is, it is them with this control and power, but it's in the context of a, a much broader group of people. And then they decide, am I going to do a walkthrough of this bill? meaning I'm going to have the sponsor come in and tell me why they're sponsoring this bill? Am I going to do more than just an, an initial walkthrough? Am I going to have ledge counsel and some witnesses come in to give us some background about why this is needed or not needed? And so those first few weeks of the session, um, everybody's looking to their chair to see if their bill is going to get a walkthrough because that's mm-hmm. the initial signal that, okay, we'll at least give it a look. Mm-hmm. So, and there are a lot of, um, I think different chairs make these decisions differently. Yes. Um, some chairs, it's really important to them. Um, what sort of the larger body is interested in, whether or not, um, they think that, you know, immediately on the face of the bill, whether or not it would get voted out of the chamber because they want to see successful bills leave their committee. Some people, it's really important to them whether or not the speaker supports the bill or their caucus supports the bill. And, some chairs, um, my chair, for instance, actually had us all r- sort of do a walkthrough of all of our bills. And then we had a little internal survey about which bills we wanted to move forward. Wow. Which I think That's we great. might be the only committee in the building that does that. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. I really, uh, he's, he's good. He's, he's a, a good, good collaborator. That he one. Is. Yeah. He is. Um, and so 
then it starts um, the very <laughs> long and arduous process of hearing from witnesses, hearing from the attorneys, hearing from uh, stakeholders around um, a particular policy, hearing from uh, citizens mm-hmm. who want to weigh in about how it would touch their lives to have this. And I want to really highlight the point that at this moment, when it becomes, when the committee decides to take up the bill, the sponsor of the bill is now completely removed from the process. Thank you. They have no ownership over this no, bill at or all what anymore. happens next. It can become, it can say anything. It can become anything. Huh. It just needs to um, really just through custom needs to match the existing title. And that isn't always the case even. And mm-hmm. so you sometimes get a situation where we, um, we were in, in the Senate uh, last Honestly, I can't remember if it was last year or last biennium where um, Senator Sears, chair of judiciary, um, had a bill drafted. But by the time it was done, it oh, was a bill this. that was supportive of more gun regulations than he was in yeah. support of. And so he made a statement, you know, on the floor saying, I, you know, I'd like to remove my name. But he, in the end, he didn't have his name removed, but he wanted to signal to his constituents back home that although it had his name on it, it was not something he supported. And so it can get uncomfortable for all of us when we see our bill. We had an idea in mind and that's the process. As we say, it's like making hamburger and it comes out and we saw this with minimum wage. Mm -hmm. We saw this with family medical leave insurance. My name was on, you know, those bills and the minimum wage bill that came out was not what we put in, right? Because right. everybody w- wanted to have their say. And so that's tough. And so a legislator, once that bill sort of leaves their hands and is in committee, still can be sort of an internal lobbyist for their values and goals on that bill um, and sort of help build a story about that throughout the building, talk to committee members about that. But you can't do it for every single bill and pay all the attention to the bills you need to pay attention to in your own committee. So often people really tend to sponsor bills, um, be the lead sponsor on bills that are sort of their committee subject so that they can maintain that control a little bit more. Right. The other thing that can happen to a bill, which I think is very interesting, is you leave, chairs will leave bills on the wall just for the purpose of gutting them at the end of the session <laughs> and using them as a vehicle to move something, something else. else. So Wow. Yeah. And so and that is not is not considered particularly rude or ridiculous. It's just part of the way things go because near the end of the session vehicles. there are things that need to move that didn't weren't able to for whatever other reason and that's sort of, you know, a vehicle to move them in. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could be another whole topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those, those little catch-all bills. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, just because we're a little short on time, right. you know, one of the things that's important to Emily and I when we, we hold the Montpelier Happy Hour is how can the public engage with the process better? Right. So we're in this process of a bill going from idea mm. to committee and then eventually getting voted on at, on the floor. Where does the public have the most power to have their say? And and what is the most effective way for them to do that? So it's important if, if there's a particular topic that is, that is of interest um, to a constituent is for them to familiarize the, themselves with the legislative website. Because although we would like to be able to 
give our constituents a heads up about everything because mm -hmm. as we said there were over a thousand bills introduced we we can't call or even post on social media hey the bill on wanton waste is coming up you, you need to pay attention so if you know there's a bill coming up around um, minimum wage and you want to be able to follow it what you can do is reach out to your house member or senator in your district and saying can like tell me which committee it's in that's easy enough for us to say to someone it's in this committee you can follow it on that committee website so that's a basic way of them knowing when something's coming up um, for action w within a committee and those of us in Wyndham County, it's sometimes hard to get up to testify on mm -hmm. a bill, but mm -hmm. we take a lot of testimony over the over the phone. Oh, and okay. so people and can it's perfectly acceptable and reasonable, and we listen just as deeply to phone testimony as we do to in person testimony. Mm -hmm. What about written testimony? Um, no, okay. I mean it's yes, it's submittable, and yes, it's fine, but it does not have the same level of impact. We get so much written material every day. And um, there's often so much written testimony on a topic that unless you can have someone else um, read that aloud to you for you in committee, it's, it just has less of an impact. It's still viable, but the chances that you're going to have the majority of committee members read it are just not as high as if you have spoken <coughs> testimony. If you can find someone on the committee that is uh, a sympathetic ear on that particular topic, one of the things I've asked constituents to do is draft, you know, draft one page of testimony with, with the most important things that these committee members need to know. Reach out with a phone call to someone on the committee and say, hey, I'm sending you this thing. It's not incredibly long, but I think there's important detail that you need to read before you vote on this bill. Just keep it really brief. Like, I think this is information you need before you can vote. Because as Emily said, we get we get so many pages mm -hmm. that it, it, we we can't it's not physically possible uh even those of us like i'm a very fast reader i cannot read all of the stuff that comes in as testimony i wish that i could but mm -hmm. i can't now as far as testimony goes what helps you form or or gather information better is it straight stories or is it stories offering solutions is it just talking about problems like so what works for you the stories best? that offer solutions um are really really effective at this time of year okay. right now so if we are in still drafting the bill stories that offer solutions are incredible because those solutions are what help us build the best bill mm-hmm later on and that's a really important that's sort of one of the two places that citizens can have the biggest impact when the bill is first being drafted and when someone's thinking about drafting a bill and bringing in constituents and a coalition to really push it once it's introduced and then in committee i think in committee i really like stories and data that match i really like diverse stories but i think it's really different for different members on the committee so i think even for each bill and each committee the answer might be different. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Becca? I have, um, having now five years in, there are advocates in the building that I trust to give me the information that I need. And I can cut through it and say, you don't need to give me all of the window dressing. I need to know the specifics. And so... 
the tough part about it is when you're new coming in, you've got this sea of people who are all trying to give you advice because we don't have staff. Right. We right. don't have staff. So you've got to figure out in those first few years, who are those advocates? Who are those lawyers? Who are those representatives of organizations that you feel like are going to give you a straight answer on something? And so if I have real questions about something and I know that now that I've been in a couple of years, I know that so-and-so used to work for the housing alliance and they're not there anymore, but they might be able to share, you know, shed some light on, you know, what is this missing or who else do we need to, mostly it's all, go, who else do we need to have in the room? Hmm. Who haven't we mm-hmm. had before the committee that you think we need to hear from before we move on this? So, and then it's sort of those stories and very particular perspective on the ground. Like, what will this, how will this shake out for Wyndham County? Right. 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 I mean, that's the question that we ask here right. week after week. Right. And that's what we want to hear from people. But Wyndham, Wyndham County is not just one face, it's a wide variety of faces. Mm-hmm. So, how will this shake out for different people who live in sort of the more rural versus the urban areas? How will this shake out for people at different income levels? How will this shake out for people with different insurance plans? How will this shake out? And you do need to hear from specific individuals or constituencies around that. Right. What's funny to me about what you just said about sort of the specific advocates in the building who you know how to trust, it's also the advocates need to learn who they can trust Absolutely. as legislators. That's true. Uh, so and I, yes. in the middle of um, mm-hmm. a hearing on um, weatherization, I asked the advocate, do you have a sense of the scale of this problem? And all of a sudden I realized that there was like six advocates running around like their heads were cut off because they thought that my vote depended on whether or not I had that answer. (laughs) And I realized that I had not given enough context for my question, which Mm -hmm. was, I want to know this like by next year, but I don't actually need to know this to make a decision on my vote. I have Mm -hmm. enough other information to know how I want to vote on this. Oh, interesting. So one thing, because I I actually need to to go, but I want to say I would love to have a conversation at some point on that there's no such thing as a bill that's a (laughs) no-brainer. I hear that all the time. This is a no-brainer. You should be passing this like in two weeks. And I would just love to take an example of a bill that someone considered a no-brainer and then show all the pitfalls falls along the way. I Sounds think that's like so yes. much fun. So. You're, you're on. We will have okay. some time for Great. you to come back, Becca. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with oh, us today. Oh, my pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Olga. Thank you, Emily. Have a great weekend. You Thanks, too. Becca. Take care. So that is our guest, Becca Ballant, Senator Becca Ballant, heading out for the weekend. And we are so grateful she could join us today. You know what? She's, I think, running off because today is her daughter, Sarah's birthday. <gasps> Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Sarah, if you're listening. Out to get her hair dyed turquoise. Ah, woohoo! As all children should. Yes, they should. Take care. Bye. <laughs> so, Emily, in the last five minutes, we have uh, what has been your takeaway for you know now that you've seen bills become bills? Uh, what is what was your major takeaway from the process? My major takeaway from the process is that it's a very complex process, mm-hmm. and that almost everything happens in committee. And committee is something that people need to pay a lot more attention to. Yeah. And so, and that's not just what happens in terms of who testifies, but that's the personalities of the folks on the committee, how those committee members get email, how they communicate with each other, who sits in the ring around the room, Mm -hmm. the witness seats, um, how their faces affect the experience of the people who are in committee. 
once something gets to the floor, nothing matters anymore. Yeah, which is so fascinating because it's almost counterintuitive because I think we think as people watching the process from the outside, the floor is the big moment where things can happen because everyone's there. The floor is all window dressing and mm -hmm. theater and it's glorious theater. It's beautiful (laughs) theater, Um, but it is velvet seats and it is pre-written speeches. So, and there's nothing wrong with, I mean, a a speech should be pre-written generally, I you it, know. It, it's better on no the audience one, that way. No one, it's much better on the audience. <laughs> Sometimes there are not pre-written speeches and it's terrible. But what happens, very little that happens when the bill is being drafted matters very much. It just needs to be sort of comprehensive enough that the committee takes it seriously. Everything happens in committee. And so, and those committees aren't put together by the people who want to champion the bill. They're put together to be a balanced cross-section of Vermonters. Mm-hmm. And so just because something would shake out well in Wyndham County doesn't mean it's going to shake out well in this particular committee. Right. And so really asking about that, I think, makes a really big difference when we're trying to move an idea forward. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Emily. Thank you. That was a wonderful walkthrough. And, and I have learned things about the process I didn't know oh, before. Good. So yay. Uh, do we have anyone scheduled for next week? Yeah, next week. Peter Elwell. That's right. Our illustrious town manager will be on. And he's going to talk about um, something called Dylan's Rule. Yes, because we are a Dylan's Rule state, which the town of Brattleboro has had to remind many audience members at the select board meeting over and over and over again. Yeah. And so if you want to know what a Dylan's Rule state is, or you want to understand... um, the difference between federal, state, and town jurisdiction, or the fact that we have no county government at all, which is quite unusual. With the exception of, like, the county court. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Tune in next week to hear that conversation. And also, if you have any specific questions for us or for our upcoming guest, in this case, Peter Elwell, you are welcome to reach out to Emily and I beforehand, and we will try to put those questions to our guest. So you can reach out to me at the Vermontitude Facebook page or my personal Facebook page or, of course, always the Commons, which is Olga at commonsnews.org. And then, Emily, remind people. You can find me at emilykornheiser.org, Emily Kornheiser on Facebook, Emily Kornheiser on Twitter or Instagram. And then, yeah, those are all the places. Those are good places. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can also stop me in the street if you want. But it's better if things are written down. And not when I'm carrying a shovel or an axe, please. No. <laughs> then, then you might just want to stop her and ask why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you, folks, for tuning in today. You have been listening to the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM. I am your host, Olga Peters.